It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Kelly Riggs. Kelly is creator of the Business Locker Room, an author, speaker about sales, podcaster. I've been on a show a couple times, and he wrote a book with one of my all-time favorite titles, Quit Whining and Start Selling. So, Kelly, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic, Andy. Great to be here. <laughs> so, yeah, rather than have me bore the audience with uh, you know reading a bio about you, why don't you tell me about yourself, introduce yourself to the audience, and tell us what you do and who do you do it for? Well, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Uh, about 10 years ago, a little less than 10 years ago, uh, struck out on my own as an independent, I guess the easiest word, Andy, is consultant. Yes, you know, we, the, the dreaded the, word. The dreaded word, right? So, uh, But I work in three areas. I, I do the same kinds of things that you do, I suspect, on the sales side, train salespeople, uh, sales strategists, consult with uh, sales organizations, that kind of thing. I also do a lot of management leadership development. In fact, the first book I wrote was called One-on-One -on -One Management, mm -hmm. What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't. And I, I, I love the, of, love the okay. subtitle on that book. Yeah, kind of an interesting way to start considering that all of my career has been in sales and as a sales executive and as a serial entrepreneur, business owner. And then I do a lot of strategic planning as well. About a year ago, we rebranded the company, as you mentioned, the business locker room, because I just like the analogies. I Everybody has a connection to sport in, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and businesses like sports. You, you need great leaders. You need great players. You need a great game plan, and, it, and it's a kind of game where you you keep score. I mean, so there's winners and losers, mm -hmm. and, and biz, business is exactly like that. So what was your sport? Uh, I played high school and college football. Well, let me rephrase. I played high school football, and I was on the college football team. So... <laughs> Yeah. Where'd you so, go? Uh, University of Tulsa. University so, of Tulsa. Okay. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to play there. And, and it's a, sc a school that, as you go back a little ways, has a pretty s storied history. Uh, yeah. Some, um, Largent played there. Jim Rome played there. I mean, some, some really great players played there. And back in the 60s, it was very prolific offensively. Well, they still it, are. Don't they play a wide open offense? Yeah, they really do. They've, they've had uh, some good years in the past several. Uh, not so much last year. But recently, yeah, they've done well. Very good. So... You're Oklahoman. Yes. All right. So how'd you get your start in sales? Uh, interestingly enough, I left uh, that, that college career. Actually, I left a bit early. I, I decided that I was I was in school to be an engineer, Andy. And engineering and I didn't get along very well. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that kind of patience. Mm -hmm. So uh, I decided that I wanted to marry my high school sweetheart. And we got married. And I left school, dropped out of school, and got a sales job. You can only imagine what my parents were thinking at that time. <laughs> well, what was the sales job? I started working in the office machines business back when you sold Copiers. copy machines and right. things like that. Absolutely, early '80s, and uh, it was it was a commercial enterprise. I mean, it was business to business, and mm -hmm. we were we were selling a, a machine back in that day that uh, did twelve copies a minute. And, Whoa! Uh, yeah, we were uh, we were getting. $2,500 for that piece of equipment. I mean, that's, that's how far back technology goes. We had a bigger machine that uh, did uh, 28 copies a minute, something like that. You know, it was, it was four or $5,000. So nowadays you can buy a piece of equipment that will uh, make your coffee and do your laundry and all your printing and scanning and everything, and you can get it down at Walmart for, you know, $150. Well, exactly. So were you like me? I mean, I started my career 
get in my car, drive to a business park, park the car, go door to door to door to door, prospecting. How about you? Yeah, very similar. I mean, we we had uh, lead cards that were just generic, like, uh, you know, from some business organization that listed the decision maker and the addresses and those kinds of things. But we looked for a certain kind of business. Uh, we didn't filter much, but, you know, you were looking for a certain type of business and you just went out and made calls. You know, the one big difference between what I see today and what I did then is my boss would not let me out the door to see a customer until I could demonstrate proficiency in doing a presentation with that product. I had to be able to handle objections, mm-hmm. ask, ask the right questions, you know, the whole deal. And after he gave me his blessing, then I could go make calls. And then he would never let you stay in the office. No, exactly. Don't come back without an order. <laughs> oh, gosh. I had. <laughs> we could get into those stories. I had those days, but especially at the end of a quarter where the branch manager needed to meet his bonus number. Yeah, I'd go uh, stand at the customer's car in his parking lot because he'd already thrown me out of his office. And I'd wait there, and he'd come out at 5.30, and there I'd be standing. It's like, you don't understand. I can't go back <laughs> until I come with an order. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, the choice here is easy. I can confront you in the parking lot, or I can go back and see the boss. That's not a yeah. tough decision. Yeah, you are, you are much easier. <laughs> so, so what have you seen in terms of you know, the big changes? And yeah, obviously, some of these are pretty obvious, but in terms of the the person-to-person interaction part of it, and you'd sort of alluded to it as maybe you know, less proficiency perhaps on the part of some frontline salespeople these days in the products, but you know, what are the major changes you're seeing? Well, the major changes I'm saying, and you're right, the, the big ones are obvious. You know, technology has changed. A lot of things have changed from two decades to almost three decades ago now, but I'll tell you the, the big changes are that it seems that there's less emphasis on interpersonal skills. There's, there's less emphasis on what you do in the presentation, the sales presentation, it, it's more about what we do in terms of social media and awareness and research online and using LinkedIn and tools like that. And I and I frankly, I think in many ways, uh, salespeople have gotten a tad bit lazy. In my view, no matter how much technology there is out there, how much social media has impacted the space, selling is still something that's done one on one. And it's something, you know, maybe one on many, but there, there still has to be a relationship built. It's odd that, Andy, salespeople will still tell me today, you know, sales uh, is all about relationships, but I'm not really sure they understand what that means. Mm-hmm. To them, a relationship is, you know, we text on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure that qualifies. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that, that is one thing that seems to be missing is that. Yeah, it's still a face-to-face business or you know, person-to-person business at some point, and they have to the customer buying from you has to get the measure of you, and that has multiple dimensions. But uh, you know, your product credibility, product proficiency, ability to be trustworthy, have integrity, and so on. But it, those things are still important. I mean, it's important to the customer. I think it's it's no less important to the customer than it was 30 years ago. Yeah, I absolutely agree. In the big picture. My sense is that salespeople are needed even more today than they were. Now, I know uh, all of the industry data suggests that business-to-business salespeople, that that field is going to shrink over time. But the, the thing about the customer is they have so much more information. They really need help making good decisions. This is why I really love what you're doing and what you've done in your two books is it puts an enormous emphasis on responsiveness it puts an enormous emphasis on knowing exactly what the customer needs and when they need it and, and to be ready to help them at a moment's notice. The, the, the whole idea of taking a few days to follow up on a lead or to get back to a customer, I mean, those days are definitely gone. By the time you get there, it, the game's over. 
Yeah, I mean, it always worked to your advantage to be this way, but even more so today, because I think Much we've more. I think we've trained customers to a too large of an extent to not expect salespeople to get back to them, to not expect responsiveness. Well, and, we're, we're the same way, aren't we? We we go to a restaurant and we get antsy if it takes someone a minute to bring us a menu. You know, <laughs> uh, it's, right. it's kind of the society we live in. Right. So we've trained them not to expect it, and so that when you do become responsive when you do act in a way that really helps the customer oriented toward helping the customer you know move through their buying process more quickly you stand out in the crowd no question well you, one other thing I wanted to mention about you you know what have I seen change um, on on the downside sadly one of the things that that I perceive and and perhaps I'm wrong but in my limited data set and the interactions that I have, with customers and salespeople is, Andy, it just seems to me like it's getting harder to find salespeople who do want to be great at something, who are willing to invest the the time and the effort that have the desire and discipline to roll up their sleeves and really be fantastic at what they do. It, it, mediocrity seems to be much more common today. And, and I'm sad about that because uh, it, it just seems like there's so much more opportunity. On the other hand, that, of course, presents opportunities for people. But it's, uh, it seems like it's harder to find people who just want to be great at something. Well, that's interesting. Why do you think that is? It, it's, it's hard. I, I think some of that is, is societal norms. I think that um, we're a victim of our own affluence in many ways. Um, it, there, there are so many opportunities uh, to to move around and you talk to millennials. I mean, the average time on a job for a millennial today is is about twelve months. I mean, in five years, people will have three to five jobs. And back in the day when we were hiring, if you did if you didn't come from a job and you hadn't been there for three, four, five years or more, we thought you were a slacker. You know, we we just figured you couldn't keep a job. Now people will move automatically if they don't get what they want. And I, and I think it's just in many ways uh, a, a part of the, the society that we're growing up in. And, you know, I hate to be cliche, but I think in some ways it goes back to in school, everybody gets a medal. And some, some, of, that are, some of that is generalization and cliche, but there's, it's, it's that way because it's true in a lot of cases. And so it's, it's just harder to find people who have had to fail, who've had to overcome adversity, who've encountered obstacles. You've, you know, many people are coming out of college with a degree and they expect to make $70,000 and get a BMW and have a nice house and and uh, they can't see it any other way, which is great if you're willing to work for it. Uh, but but their role models so oftentimes it seems like in media is, hey, life is easy. Just jump out there and, you know, get your 15 minutes of fame and make a fortune. And, and sadly, I don't think that the peop- they understand the people behind the scenes have worked enormously hard to come to that instantaneous success that they think they see. Yeah, well, I think you hit an interesting point, though, because I, I sort of have a different view with, of millennials. I know that you know people sort of paint them with a broad brush, um, but I've got a son who's you know definitely a millennial, you know, starting his career just a few years into his career, and I'm not sure I've ever seen a generation as really as motivated as well certainly the people he's he's with um and he's not the only one and through my work with clients i see a lot of i think to me the problem is is not the generation as much as you sort of touched on the role model but i see it as sort of the role model in the business space right in the workplace that they yes you know the way we learned the way i learned is i looked when i first started sales i looked at the most successful person in the group 
and both my sales manager and the most successful sales guy in my office, and I modeled myself after them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's that next layer up that's really the issue. Is that, and we hear this all the time in sales, is that you know managers aren't coaching, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I've seen sales managers that hire coaches to coach their salespeople. Right. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm like, okay, well, what's your job if you're a manager <laughs> but to yeah, coach what are we them? Right? You for, right? We should we should actually be calling you a sales coach, and you hire somebody to do your management tasks. And so I I think it's really there. I think our problem is, or the problem that exists perhaps in sales with, you know, the new generation coming in is who are they looking up to within the organization that they can model their behaviors on? Because I think they really want to succeed. I don't, personally, I don't see any difference between this generation and previous. It's just maybe they just don't have the role models uh, within the workplace. Yeah, I'm spot on, Andy. I 100% agree with that. I, I think that people come into a culture, a company, a family, a society, whatever, and and they're going to learn from what's around them. And it it was absolutely quite a bit more common as a young guy to to see mentoring and training and required training, required coaching. And I really do think it's, it's not a younger generation issue, as you've suggested. I think it's an older generation issue, and I think we've gotten stale and lazy and and uh, may, I don't know what our motivations are, right. but I, I'm with you. I've, I've got uh, three millennials as kids, and uh, my oldest son, we've had this conversation many times. He's doing quite well in business, but he'll tell you right up front, hey, I had good role models. You, you and mom and the people that I was around, I learned the value of hard work and excellence and those kinds of things. I think you're on top of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's sort of an issue we need to look at You know, generally as sales thought leaders and so on is – and certainly what I try to focus on some is when I get back and talk about the basics and the fundamentals is, you know, those are timeless. Focus on those and everybody needs to, the managers, the leaders, you know, we can get wound up in complex sales processes and methodologies, but, you know, if you're going to have people work for you, you got to coach them. Yeah, no question. In fact, it's, it's interesting because I just finished a, a blog post that I'll be putting up uh, in a few days. Uh, that relates to this, and it's it's about training. I, I mean, you, you ask companies if they train their people, and they'll say, oh, sure, and that you'll go in, as I often do, and not only do they not train their people, I mean, they, they equate product orientation and learning the sales administrative mm-hmm. task as being training. Not only do they not train their people well, they don't train them in selling skills. They, they don't onboard them well. They don't have any systematic methodology for bringing their people up to a skill level. They don't test. On and on and on it goes. And I, I think that's the inherent weakness now that exists. Yeah. And there's no development process you know, that says, okay, because again, when we got hired, you and I, probably roughly the same generation, the big companies were sweeping up lots of college graduates every year, right? And we yes. all got funneled into these very formal training programs. You know, within my first year, I was away from home eight weeks in a training center run by the company. Right. How to sell, how to learn, you know, learning the product. And this was, you know, selling computer products. But, you know, half of that was learning how to sell. The other half was the product. I mean, it was pretty intense. So I said we were, one was two weeks and one was six weeks. So we were sequestered away for a long time. You don't see that much anymore. No, not. I think I think it exists at the Fortune 500 level. Uh, below that, when you get into small and medium-sized businesses, it's it's apparently almost non-existent. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate because yeah, that's the, then the importance of the role modeling within the organization is because when I start work, when I worked for a number of venture-funded startups in the tech space, is you know I'd model my selling. I wanted to go on sales calls with the CEO and the founder because. Right. 
they had the passion, they knew the product, they knew what they were trying to sell, they had had that vision for what that solution was going to be, that it was going to make a difference to the customer. I wanted to go on sales calls with that person because that's how I was going to learn how to sell the product. Yeah, agreed. And and today it's it's almost well, I, I most people, most small companies in particular, their sales strategy is to quote hire born salespeople, you know, and their their frequent concern is is that well, I'm just not sure this guy is a salesperson, right? Uh, so it, they they kind of leave themselves. Uh, op- open to circumstance and to happenstance. I mean, it, maybe we get lucky and maybe we don't. But you know, clearly, the really good people out there are not going to go work there anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're looking for opportunity to grow, develop, increase their skills, make more money, have a career path. And uh, sadly, for for many of the smaller companies, uh, they don't make those kinds of things available. Right. They don't have that that mentor. So I'm going to give you a question to think about. We're going to take a break in a second. I'm going to give you a question to think about during the break, and we'll come back afterwards, and you're going to answer it. So the question is, you're a manager. You're new to a company. They brought you in to make a difference with their sales team. What would you do in the first week? What two things would you do in the first week that could have the biggest impact? All right. All right. So stay with us after the break. As Kelly Riggs is going to share with us the secrets for quickly amping up your sales, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect & Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect & Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect & Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today is Kelly Riggs. You can catch Kelly online at thebizlockroom.com. Great podcast, blogs, pick up his books. Uh, we're going to talk about one of those books here in a second. So you talked about your book before, One-on-One Management. Mm-hmm. And the subtitle is what every good manager knows that you don't. So tell me, what don't I know? Ah, that is a great question. I, I think what, what most managers don't realize is that what got them promoted is not the skills that they need to use and utilize in, in a managerial role. Think about why we promote people. Salespeople are a great example. You may have been one. I mm-hmm. certainly was. Mm-hmm. I was a national salesperson of the year for two years in a row. They said, great. You want to be a manager? I said, Sure. And sadly, I thought they promoted me because I was great at selling, uh, and they did. However, what they wanted me to do is to teach other people how to be great at selling, not do it for them. So we, we promote people into management leadership positions and don't realize that it's a completely different set of skills and that learning to engage your employees is the critical part of what you will do. And if you're not good at that, if you're not good at leadership skills, which are, by the way, like selling skills, they can be learned by anyone, uh, then you're, you're going to struggle. And unfortunately, what will happen, Andy, over a short period of time is we'll go from the employee who just wished his or her manager would let them do their jobs. I have so much to offer. Please just get out of my way and give me an opportunity. Shortly after becoming a manager, we're saying the same kinds of things the other manager is saying, you know, it's just hard to find good people these days. <laughs> And it's just a transition to, to a different skill set that never happens. So when you were promoted, mm-hmm. what was sort of the first big lesson you picked up on that you had to, to learn about management? Well, that was easy. I didn't know anything about how to hire. 
the first two or three people I hired were just abysmal choices. Of course, I thought they were great because they looked and sounded like me. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for people like me because clearly if you want to be successful, and I've already demonstrated. You had had to be like Kelly. Got to be like me. And uh, so the first two or three I hired were, were just train wrecks. And I realized that I didn't know anything about hiring, and I made it my goal in life to learn everything I could about how to hire because I realized I was just terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that was the one big lesson I learned is that uh, if, if you're going to add people to your team, you need to know a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got horror stories of my own <laughs> in that regard. Um, actually, one of my favorite stories is one that, that I didn't hire the person, but I inherited them when another sales manager left and, and this salesperson was having some real, real difficulties and extremely well-dressed presented beautifully. Sort of what you're talking about, you know, people that sort of looked like me. Um, but there's something that just wasn't right about him. And I, I go to the branch manager who had signed off on the hire with the other sales manager hire. I said, so did you ever check references on this person? <laughs> he said, well, we did, but we got a letter back saying that they couldn't release this person's transcript because they hadn't paid off their student loans. And I looked at the manager. I said, well, you realize in that instance, no one would ever get a reference letter or a transcript right. sent to their employer. Yeah, it turned out they'd fabricated the whole thing. Yeah, when you dug in and got there, they'd had somebody, a friend at the college, you know, steal stationery, send it to the employer saying, yeah, we couldn't release the transcript and you got it. You know, it was a disaster. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, everybody has that. Yeah, every, everyone has those stories. and So what did called, you change? What did you change in terms of what you were looking for? What did you learn first about, okay, what this is what I need to be careful of? Because I think this is really a common problem for a lot of smaller enterprises where, you know, people hate hiring. They hate the process, you know, viscerally hate it. Um, you know, what's the first thing that you really learned about you have to look out for? Well, I, I learned that what I experienced is what they call halo effect. And once someone connected with me at a personal level, then I would tend to see anything they did, you know, as if they had a halo on. I mean, mm-hmm. they really could do nothing wrong. And what I realized is that hiring a resume does not make any sense. Uh, clearly, you want people who have a skill set that you need, but it's more about the talent that they bring to the table. As an example, if I need someone to open up a brand new territory, I need to, them to get out and cut trees down and create all new openings in the forest. I need a hunter. Then I need to make sure that I'm hiring that kind of person. That kind of salesperson is completely different than the traditional farmer who's great at relationships and long-term things, but it's going to take them a lot longer to build those relationships. The results aren't going to come as quickly. You know, I need to make sure they don't have call reluctance if, if they're that kind of salesperson as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need people to demonstrate to me that they can create a plan uh, that they they have done it in the past, uh, that they understand the, the numbers of selling. And if not, that's something that I can teach them, but I need them to have an awareness of why numbers are important and not just throwing enough things against the wall until they stick, not those kind of numbers, but the, the mathematics of selling in terms of uh, the number, what you have to have in your pipeline. And all. I need them to have some business acumen. I need right. them to, so to how do you able- test that? Well, there, there's a lot of ways. I mean, the, clearly the best indicator of future action is, is past actions. So what I don't want to do is ask questions like, well, what would you do if? What I want to do is, look, tell me about a time that you, you did X or you didn't do X. So, you know, I want to put them on the spot. I don't want to say, tell me about your weaknesses. I want to say, tell me about a time that you you had a big opportunity and you you just lost it. I mean, it went south. You You didn't get it. 
tell me about what happened. Tell me how you handled it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going, this is where you, the psychology of selling and interviewing is really important because you're asking people something that's off base that they probably didn't anticipate and they're going to need to think on their feet. And I'm looking for details. I'm looking for visceral reactions to this. I'm looking for real reactions and not the kind of made up answers that, that, that people practice. And the idea is, is that if you've done this in the past or you have failed at it in the past, I don't, I don't care about past failure, Andy. What I care about is what did they learn from it? And then I can do like you're doing here. Tell me how you took those lessons and turned it into something more productive. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to drill down on, on their numbers and, and their objectives, how they built their plans. How, how did, if you had, you say you grew your territory by 25% year over year. Tell me how you did that. Well, I just got out and worked harder. Uh, that's not going to work for me. You're going to you're going to need to show me a semblance of a business mind that you know what it takes to to purposely grow a territory that you identified certain areas, certain products, certain uh, sectors that you grew, that you increased your your existing account base, a certain percentage and you added new accounts. And here's how you went about the process. Mm -hmm. There, There are there are a whole lot of insightful questions that you can ask. Sadly, most interviews are just resume reviews. Most sales managers say, oh, so I see you uh, you graduated from Ohio State, yeah, and uh, you uh, you were in business. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, how were your grades? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, your first uh, job out was uh, this. Uh, tell me about your responsibilities. How was that? You know, and so we just do a resume review, and we ask a couple of the standard questions like, well, what are your strengths, and what would people say about you, and what are you looking for, and what motivates you? And any anybody worth anything can float their way through an interview like that and get hired. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I think, and I love the comment you made about the halo effect because, to me, that's one of the real issues. Is right, is managers fall in love with these guys based on really superficial, or guys or girls based on superficial qualities, right? No and, question. And you know, one of the things I'm a big advocate for is if you found somebody that you know maybe brought back for the second interview is maybe before the second interview, before you invest the time, invest the time in doing your reference checks then, right? Do your reference checks before you fall in love with these people. Agreed. Because once you fall in love with somebody, you know, quote, unquote, fall in love with somebody, then you're just going to use reference checks as a way of sort of confirming what you want to hear, as opposed to really trying to find something that, that gives you a reason why you shouldn't hire them. Well, I tell you another thing that I do that uh, is old school. There's no question about it. I learned it as a young man, but one of the first jobs that, that I got in sales, my boss took me through all the interview paces and did a good job. And then he set up a role play scenario and said, I'm going to have you sell me this product. I'm going to give you the details of who you are, who you're calling mm-hmm. on, what your product looks like, and your objective is to do X. Right. And so he left the room for five minutes and came back and said, uh, Mr. Riggs, it is nice to meet you. I am Tom, and uh, why are you here? And so I, I had to think on my feet. And what I didn't know then that I found out later was that he wanted to see, you know, if I was articulate, could I think on my feet? Could I transfer business concepts in a, in a good way? Mm-hmm. But he also wanted to see if I would try to close the sale. And if I did and he resisted, how hard would I go at it? And, you know, I tried to close him, I think, three or four times. And then he called time and he said, Really nice job. He said, here's the thing. You are not ever going to close me. (laughs) I'm not going to allow it. What I want to know is how far will you go before you run out of gas? I'm going to go stand by your car in the parking lot. (laughs) 
So I, mean, I think I think that's a great exercise for people. I've known people who have done it in the past. I know some people that say, oh, you know, I don't do that. That's crazy. It doesn't work. But I will assure you, you find out a, a lot about people. Absolutely. When you, when you put them on the spot and ask them to perform. Well, I think I think you really bring out a critical point, and it's something that I stress in my writing and, and work with clients, is that if there's important qualities or characteristics that a new hire needs, you need to test them to make sure they have them. Absolutely. And yeah, I do something similar to what you did in a, uh, with a client. He was really surprised when I suggested this. Is he was having a hiring a director of sales, and the director of sales was managing group and also going to carry a bag for part of a territory. So I had to be able to make presentations and be relatively self-sufficient. So I said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're put candidates in a room with a laptop and a data sheet for one of your products and say, 10 minutes, put together a three-slide PowerPoint presentation about this product and present it to us when we come back in. And we brought in, oh gosh, 15 candidates, maybe a little bit more. Right. And all but five walked before doing it. Wow. And I thought, okay, well, self, self-selection, self right? But obviously they were concerned about their ability to perform, and, and he hired somebody that turned out to be pretty good and could do the job just like he wanted. So, yeah, testing testing and verification, really important. All right, so that's great, great conversation. So let me, I'm going to wrap this up in a few minutes. We're going to ask some rapid-fire questions. Give me brief, concise answers. So what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Oh, wow. That's what, what a question that is. I, I would say the most powerful sales tool, um, it, it really it really depends. It depends if I'm trying to get uh, more of a marketing tool, obviously, if you're talking about attraction and awareness. I think it has has to be your, your presence on the Internet. I mean, you, you have to be seen and, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and you have to create credibility. To me, a salesperson has to have credibility or they're going nowhere. And in this day and age, every customer almost without exception knows more about you than you can ever imagine before you walk in the door. Exactly. And if you don't have a presence and if you're not a thought leader, uh, then then I think you're behind the curve. So I, I would suggest to you that one of the most powerful sales to you, you have, that you have at your disposal is your credibility and it should precede you into the room. Right. Who's your sales role model? I would I would probably pick a couple of different people. Uh, one of the people may or may not surprise you, but one of my sales role models is a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. I grew I grew up with Zig, sure, and, and it wasn't just that uh, he was a great speaker and all that. I, I loved his character. I loved his approach. I loved that he was about serving others and helping others. Of course, one of his most famous quotes is you can get everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want in life. Right. And in terms of being an actual role model, I, I would say probably him. Perfect. So what's the one sales book that every, or not even sales book, what's the one book every salesperson should read? Well, this may surprise you. I, I think the one sales book that everybody should read is probably not a sales book. It's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. It was written by Stephen Covey back in the mid-'80s. Yep. And it's not, it's not successful people. It's effective people. And it's just one of the most profound books that, that I've ever seen. It used to be required reading for the people that worked for me because I, I thought it made us better in every aspect mm-hmm. of what we did, not just the selling side. Okay. You're not the first one to mention that. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? The first thing I do every day is review my plan. I, you know, there's so much going on, especially when you're a solo entrepreneur like I am. You have so many moving parts. Uh, time time is the, are the precious commodity that yep. we deal in. It's Absolutely. the currency that we trade in. So the first thing I do is make sure that I'm doing the most important thing today. And that, that's, that's really difficult when you've got 
30 moving parts. Right. Well, I'm painfully aware of that. So what's your favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up for a sales call? Blues. Blues. Anybody in particular? Uh, a bit of blues guy forever. Huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan sure. back in the day, but I love John Mayer. Uh, but I, I love a lot of old stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm really into the, the the older, the blues. Allman Brothers are a big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot, lot of different things like that. But there are a lot, a lot, lot of newer guys out there too. Mayer probably being the most prolific. So what's your favorite social media tool and why? I would say my my favorite social media tool is LinkedIn far and away because it first off it links to Twitter. Anything you're doing there is going to link to Twitter. A lot of the the, the publishing platform is moving to LinkedIn. Uh, I've had the good fortune of having several conversations with Tony Hughes, who's been kind of the, a trailblazer in that arena. But I, I think it's a place where you can connect with people, you can do your research, and you can publish, and you can build your credibility. I think there's just a lot of benefits. Okay. What do you do to keep fit? Uh, currently, P90X3. Ah. That's, uh, I, I need discipline in that space. I've always been a guy who tried to stay in shape. And uh, my wife and I do it together, and we're accountability partners. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a 30-minute it's a program. It's all laid out for me. I, I don't have to think, Andy. I just show up and do what they tell me. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, you don't live in an apartment in New York City, so you obviously have space to do it at home. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, last question. Well, no, actually, last sales question. So, the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople is? Well, hard to narrow that one down, but I I, I think there's maybe one or two. One is, you know, what's the one book or the one thing I need to be doing or reading at at this point in time that will make me better? Mm -hmm. And the other other one is, look, what's the easiest way to acquire new new clients? It just seems to be harder to get in front of decision makers. Uh, What's the thing that I should be doing differently in that realm? Got it. Good answer. Last question. Yes, sir. What do you consider your greatest success outside of work? Um, that one's easy. That's all about my family. Uh, I'm a guy that's been married 33, now 34 years, just, uh, June the 13th, 34 years married, three wonderful grown children. They've been successful in life. And, and, and I don't mean from a monetary perspective, although that's, that's part of it from their view, but they're, they're just good character kids. They're, they're good citizens. They're good people. And uh, my relationship with my wife clearly is, uh, has been the driving force behind that. Clearly. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. Our guest has been Kelly Riggs. You'll make sure to visit his website at bizlockerroom, that's B-I-Z, lockerroom.com. And be sure to check out his radio show and blogs. Like I said, I've been a guest, what, twice on yes. your show? Yeah, fantastic guest. Yeah, and uh, likewise here, and look forward to having you back again. So remember, make it a part of your day every day to learn something new to help you amp up your business. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.